I'm glad you were drinking a mug of rosé. That pleases me to no end. It's the cup of the people. It is, the cup, the, it is the cup of the people and the drink of the people, he, mm. he said, and then took no more questions. <laughs> Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to Taking Ship, a guided cruise through dumbest timeline America. I'm Frank Spring, joined by Maggie Moore, who I think we can all agree was the real winner, perhaps the only winner, to emerge out of the championship fight between Conor McGregor and uh, Khabib uh, Nurmagomedov. Hello, Mags. Hello, Frank. And yes, I was, in fact, that winner. Um, As always, please be sure to leave comments and rate us, clearly, both positive and negative, uh, because honestly, that is how more people uh, can find out about the show. And we all know that misery loves company. Uh, be sure to follow yes. us on Twitter at, at taking ship and that ship with a P as in popular vote. You can follow me at Maggie M zero one two Frank spring at, at Frank spring. And I guess you could follow Ellie Jacobs at, at Ellie Jacobs. So last week, or really the last two weeks, um, we're actually about 84 years long, uh, and really only focused on one news story, which I'm sure you're all aware, but guess what? We're not going to talk about that. Because y'all saw it, you know what it is, um, and we probably don't have anything too smart or too stupid to add, you know, on that end. Um, well, we've got, I've, I've got a lot of really dumb shit to add to that, but, and I know that that's, that that's the content that people crave. That's true. But, but we, we may spare them that. We may talk about the consequences of it a little bit a little later in this episode, but, but yeah, for sure. Let us, let us not delve too deeply into the actual process of this atrocity. Yeah, we don't need to relitigate logistics, because again, like, y'all were there. There was literally nothing else on TV. Try as you might, but that was the only thing. I know more about this event than I do about most of the events in my own life. Oh, yeah. I have been forcibly, my memories have been forcibly yanked out of my head. Like, I've forgotten family members' names so that I can put in the dates of 1982 from that stupid fucking calendar into my brain. Yes. And, and, and this, and honestly, like that's, I think that's part of it. Like at some point we're going to have to, as it was, I mean, we typically wouldn't, again, we are not talking about the, the atrocity itself. We're talking about the consequences of this thing. Uh, we, you know, I think that's, that's a little more fair game. Uh, at some point we are going to have to come to an unpacking of all of the various insults that have been the part that have been part of this process. And the fact that like, and, and that stuff, like the fact that we've overwritten portions of our own memory to learn about this incredibly weird and troubling dude is like, I mean, it's not, it's not near the top of them, but it's, definitely in there and there's some other weird shit in there as well like we've been introduced to these god-awful characters that honestly should have been allowed to have died in shame and ignominy and instead like now i know who my judge is i can't unlearn that i know that's like two weeks or 84 years of my life that i'm never gonna get back this is bullshit and i won't stand for it except that i am constitutionally obliged to at least for the moment yeah so onward and upward friends so having gotten having gotten that is onward and upward, and by that I mean downward. So they they do say that uh, that uh, you know all politics is local, and uh, and the corollary to that is the decline of democracy is local. And I am pleased to say that uh, while uh, the uh, confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh was perhaps the greatest outrage uh, of this weekend in America, uh, it was not the only outrage. Uh, actually, this what this did not occur this weekend. This is previously. This is earlier in the week. Uh, there was a, yet another outrage that came out of our nation's capital. Uh, in this case, so let's let's flash back very quickly. Uh, four months ago, uh, on the same date as the Democratic primary in the District of Columbia. 
there was uh, a vote cast for a referendum uh, with a terrifically and somewhat sinisterly titled Initiative 77. They're uh, we always the, like that. It's very like Soylent Green. Right, know, that's like, exactly right. I'm just like, why, can, why have I never been given an option to either vote on or execute Article, like, Article 66 or Executive Order 66? That is... It remains one of the finest pieces of legislation. <laughs> uh, the Jedi were a threat to the stability of the Empire. It, it, it did what had to be done. Don't at me. Uh, so we were, but we, the voters of DC, were given the option to approve or uh, or vote down Initiative seventy seven. And the gist of Initiative seventy seven was this: it was a, a bill to change the way that employers pay uh, bartenders, servers, uh, I think it's bellhops, and 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 a, and a few other classes of tipped uh, workers. Uh, they are uh, traditionally tipped uh, $3.89, or they're, excuse me, they are given $3.89 hourly in DC and the tipped wage, uh, and then the, the, and it's the, the difference between that hourly wage and the federal minimum wage is meant to be made up in tips. So the current system allows you to pay them just a few bucks an hour, and then tips have to make up the difference between that and minimum wage. Initiative 77 would change that. It would require that the hourly minimum wage uh, increase until everyone, you know, again, bartender servers, bellhops, other tip workers, uh, were all paid uh, minimum uh, standard minimum wage by 2026. So there's a fairly long tail on this thing, but the idea is by 2026, everyone who works in a serv- everyone who works in a tip service uh, job is going to be getting a regular minimum wage. This was quite a contentious, uh, quite a contentious vote. In, in no small part because there were good arguments from a number of servers uh, that they would end up worse off on the deal. There are people who work, you know, tending bars, serving in some of the higher end restaurants where they probably are, where a regression to regular minimum wage probably will, uh, probably would represent a decline in income for them. Because for a variety of reasons, the theory here is uh, people will tip less, which I'm not actually sure is true. The data doesn't really bear that out. Uh, but also there was some concern that, you know, restaurateurs and bar owners, May be may might start playing a little faster and looser with how they tip people out if they had to pay everyone minimum wage. So, you know, this is that was one of the arguments. I do feel like there are probably uh, some some uh, some people who are uh, working as servers in some of the higher end places that are going to end up that that would end up doing worse out of this deal. But the idea was this is going to protect everyone who works in tipped service, uh, you know, from you know the, the from you know from Subway on up. It was quite contentious. I read more about this thing and got farther into the weeds on this than I have for almost any vote I've ever cast in my life because it was hard to figure out. I mean, there were again, there were good arguments on both sides here. Uh, and eventually I voted for it and a bunch of other people did too, and it passed. And then on Tuesday, the D.C. City Council um, just repealed it, decided they didn't want it, and eight to five decided, you know what, actually, that's just not the law. I know, I know we held a public vote. We held a referendum. We all decided what was going to happen here. You all cast your votes, but your votes don't mean shit. Fuck you. Uh, this is just not happening. It's just not good for the district, and you guys can go to hell. And which raises the interesting question for me: Why have a plebiscite at all? I don't actually love plebiscites all that much, to be honest with you. I, 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 I understand their importance from time to time. Sometimes you really do need them, but they are a dodgy proposition at the best of times for all sorts of reasons. Uh, but but if you're going to have one, you can't just four months later without any sort of process, except that you don't like it overturn the outcome. I feel this way about Initiative 77. I felt this way about Brexit. It's the same damn thing. You can't just come back in the same calendar year and be like, actually, you dump, you peasants don't know what the hell you're talking about. Let us rule you. Fuck you guys. It's, it's a grotesque and appalling insult. Uh, and, 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 it's, and the fact that it came at the city council level of a place that spends all of its time, and as a D.C. resident, I can tell you, I spend no, I am more outraged 
about, I'm outraged by a lot of things, as you can tell, but I'm rarely more outraged than I am about my lack of representation. We spend so much time pissing and moaning about our lack of federal representation as well we might and should, and yet here we are. When we finally actually have our own representatives, they don't listen to us. They overturn our will. This is ridiculous. It's bogus, and, and again, I won't stand for it except for the fact that I have no option but to. So I live in New York, and you're based in D.C., so can you actually give me a sense of, like, how much people in town were like talking about 77 before it actually passed. Um, and then how quiet of a repeal was this actually? Like, was there public debate? Um, is it in the paper? Sort of to do a lot of people know about this? Sort of how shady are we talking here? I mean, I think it's the, the first one is 77, at least to me, seemed pretty visible. Uh, it was it was pretty it was pretty contentious. Uh, there were a number of restaurants that had that. I mean, a, a lot of the rest a lot of restaurants got involved. Uh, a few of them. Uh, you know, again, a few of the higher end places would have, you know, they like you would sit down at a table and there would be a little card that would say no yeah. on 77 or yeah, yes. Yeah, I, so I saw some places had signs in the windows um, yeah. of the restaurant, which is like, that might feel like a hostile work environment if you're a server who also supports this this measure. But yeah, anyway. I, I wasn't crazy about that, to be honest with you. Uh, and it was in the kind of places where a lot of the servers were at, at least had a case or believed that there was a case to be made that they would do worse. Uh, there were a few restaurants that 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 went out that led on uh, that led on yes uh, shout out to the florida avenue grill on florida and 11th if y'all are ever in dc and want some just terrific uh, they style themselves a soul food diner that is a, a terrifically accurate description they are they are great uh, and and i don't think they're a place that actually i don't i think they are probably financially better off under the current system and i think they were doing it because it was the right thing to do like that's so anyway if you're ever in dc y'all uh, uh florida avenue uh, florida avenue grill on uh, florida and 11th y'all should go Food's terrific and they're decent people. Uh, so it was, it, but like servers would talk to you about it. Like people would just be like, hey, how, you know, do you, you mind if I ask how you're going to vote on 77 and would like pitch you, uh, you know, on, on their view on it? It was really, and, uh, you know, it was, it was at least sort of in, inside, like in down, you know, and within like very near inside DC. I can't speak to what it was like a little bit farther out into the district. It was significantly talked about. It was kind of a, it was a, it was one of the drivers of turnout. At least that appears to be the evidence. Yeah. I feel like, a lot of times with these like vaguely named initiatives, people don't super know um, what they're even about or what they should be doing. Um, this is one of my problem with plebiscites is that, right. you know, I mean, what, I, what does no on 77 fucking mean? Like, what am I to make of this information? Like, you know, on seven, but yes, on 78. I'm like, well, that's bigger. Sure. Let's do that. I mean, it just, it's, uh, you know, I understand it, but, it, and, and again, like, I don't want to give up on the idea that a population is, as I think in this case, actually, I mean, 77 may kind of, the fact that it passed may refute my point a little bit. This was a complex issue where one side, the no to 77, had a lot more resource. Uh, they were backed by the restaurant right. lobby to the absolute hilt. Yes, was a much, much smaller enterprise. Uh, no had a lot more resource. They ran a much more coordinated campaign. They ran a much better refund, the funded campaign. They ran, you know, all of this stuff. And they still lost because, you know, and some of it may be the simplicity of what, yes was arguing people should be paid the minimum wage that's a good solid simple narrative right as opposed to no's argument which is well they kind of already are but also like they just they weren't like no eventually coalesced around this like well it'll be really bad for the restaurant industry but the truth is like this is a pretty like that's a bad line in a pretty progressive city where you know it'll be bad it'll be bad for it'll be bad for business owners it doesn't i mean it's one of the great things about dc is it'll be bad for business owners doesn't overcome but it'll be really good for the people who work there. 
Uh, so, I mean, in a lot of in a lot of respects, the the passage of seventy seven argues for plebiscites. I mean, I think the population made the right decision. Um, but but again, like so often as we have seen, California is infamous for this, where like so much, especially during the nineties, it was one plebiscite after another, and most of them were barely you know, most of them were incomprehensible, and you had no idea what they meant. Right. Exactly. And for me, you know, living in New York, I have a lot of friends who are servers, um, and a lot of New York City restaurants. Um, or at least a, a decent amount of them are running on a cash only kind of environment. Um, cause that, so they don't have to deal with credit card fees, but also, you know, how much of them, how much of their profits are actually going on the books? Who's to say, um, oh, sure. but I have is a friend who is, a the old model, exactly. sorry, forgive me for interrupting, but the old model for diners used to be that you paid taxes up until 3 PM and everything after that was for you. Exactly. So I had a friend who was a bartender uh, at a bar on the Lower East Side who um, obviously as she got regulars, they would only tip her in cash because her bosses would hoard her credit card tips. The only way she could actually get tips is the cash that she had on hand at the end of the night. So you also are trusting that your business owner uh, will actually give you the share of the tips that you deserve or that other waiters or hosts will actually share tips with busboys and on down the line. Um, So the tipping thing is actually relatively complex. Uh, but the thing that really gets me is that, um, like you were saying, we put it to a vote and it passed and that should be, that should be the law of the land. But then they just decided to repeal it anyway. It's kind of like when one of my friends says, should I wear the blue or should I wear the green? And I'm like, ah, see, I think you should wear the blue dress. It looks great. And then she says, "Mm, I think I'm going to wear the green. Then why did you ask? You already knew you wanted to do the other thing. Then why are you asking me? That's like, why, like, why put it to a vote? You know, you didn't like it. Don't ask me. For sure. Why would you, yeah, why get someone's opinion if you don't, if you don't want, like, if you don't want it? Um, and, 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 you know, the answer here, this is a much smaller bore thing, but uh, the uh, article set, or initiative 77 as opposed to Brexit, but the answer with Brexit is, and this was the great folly of David Cameron, and believe me, that is of up against there are many. stiff competition. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but you know the great folly of David Cameron was he, uh, he he fell victim to one of the two classic blunders, the most famous of which is never get involved in a land war in Asia, uh, never go up against a Sicilian when death is on the line, and then uh, Abraham Lincoln's uh, admonition against the classic blunder of never ask a question to which you don't know the answer. And you know, and the idea for Cameron was he had this enormous amount. This this is not a Brexit podcast. I promise you, we're not going to talk about Labour Party politics on this one, uh, but uh, or you know, British politics of any kind. But the reason they had a the entire reason they had a Brexit vote is he thought he had the thing in the bag. He thought he was going to be able to put this thing down for good. That he would be able to put away the rebellious Brexiteers because when they went to the people, no one in their right goddamn mind would vote for this monstrosity. And instead, here it is, and they have to live with it. And you know, and that like, and they are struggling mightily to do so. Uh, but you know, to answer an earlier question of yours, there was some coverage of the fact that this, there was contemplation of, of this being overturned. But you know, the truth is, like, you're never going to get as much publicity over a city council meeting to repeal a ballot as you're going to get on the, on the, as you're going to get on the, the original plebiscite itself. Um, and, and the problem is, because the Democratic Party primary is really the only meaningful vote in town uh, and the and this plebiscite happened on the same day. It'll be two years before any of these people pay any political consequences. And if, and if you think that that is a coincidence, then I have uh, I have a large number of bridges that I would like to sell you. If these people were up again, were repealing on a, a plebiscite less than you know about a month before they were facing a real a credible reelection threat, this this would not have happened. Yeah, and truly, then democracy dies in the dark. Thanks, Washington Post, for that snappy snappy tagline that we now have for all this stuff. 
Yes, exactly. It dies in the dark or in the sky. I mean, it's actually like it's on the Washington Post right now. Uh, you know, I mean, this is right. this is covered. But, you know, two months from now or two years from now, will anyone remember this shit? Are, uh, un- unlikely. Probably unlikely. Not. It's troubling. Yeah. So talking about this on a local level actually makes me want to segue into the only part of SCOTUS that we'll be talking about today, uh, at least ever so briefly. Um, I tend to be on this show the resident standard bearer for talking about the dissolvement of democratic norms and in these institutions. Um, so I'm going to continue to do that. Um, in some conversations that I've been having with folks um, about sort of what happens next, um, now that I've had to pick myself up off the mat of knowing that Brett Kavanaugh is going to be our Supreme Court nominee, is sort of thinking about what's going to happen from here. Um, and one thing that was brought to my attention was the, the few times um, that Supreme Court rulings have just been flat out ignored. And I'm going to say right here and now and apologize to Xander by saying, our frequent guest, Xander, that I am not a legal scholar, um, but I will mention two examples that I think folks uh, probably know a little bit more about than me, but I think they get the point across. Um, When we're talking about uh, presidents willfully ignoring uh, Supreme Court uh, rulings, there's Andrew Jackson uh, basically paving the way um, for um, the Trail of Tears. I'm trying to pick up what the actual ruling was called. Worcester v. Georgia. John Marshall has made his decision. Now let him enforce it. Which I think actually illustrates um, a better point in that, um, that there's no body that has been put in place to uh, reinforce Supreme Court laws. So if you don't want to follow it, you don't have to, unless we've all just agreed that we're going to do that. Um, so Andrew Jackson as a president intervening, yes. But another example um, that comes up for me is uh, Brown versus the Board of Education. Um, and that states necess- were not necessarily following the spirit um, of that ruling, uh, more so the letter, but marshals had to come down to enforce these rules, uh, to, to enforce the actual integration of schools. Um, so now we're, we're, we could be going into a place in which um, this Supreme Court nominee, or the, the person who's now on the court, um, is jeopardizing the legitimacy of the Supreme Court for, uh, for states. So if there's as much as I would love to give Kavanaugh a big old fuck you and say we're not going to abide by whatever rulings come down that we don't necessarily agree with if Roe v. Wade um, is, is up for consideration, it's not a good place as a country to be in that, we are in, that we are in a situation in which we could have states or even a president who could willfully ignore um, a ruling that comes down from the Supreme Court. That's just not a place that we should be. So watching local democratic institutions crumble and then having it trickle all the way up to the alleged highest court in the land, I don't know. I think it just puts us on the brink of, of some sort of societal, cultural explosion, some sort of upheaval, which, man, I didn't even know I was going to get that dark when I started, but like, that's where I landed. So yeah, but it's a good, it's a good place. It's a good, it's a ride, ride it, ride it, Maggie, ride it straight to hell. No, it's a good, it's a, it's a good horse and we should ride it a ways. Uh, yeah, exactly. When, when SCOTUS issues, an, when SCOTUS issues an opinion, the executive branch has to enforce it. Uh, when the executive branch is Andrew Jackson, that's just not happening. Uh, and, and the, so there is a future, scenario in which Kavanaugh and this court uh, issue an opinion that a Democratic president just decides, you know what, we're just nowhere not going to do. And, and that actually happens in a very, in a very light way a lot. 
executive branches and states and, and at the federal level as well just choose not to enforce stuff from time to time, uh, even though it is the law of the land. And that, that, that could certainly happen here. And of course, that's a sort of classic example with most of, uh, most of the civil rights findings from the, from the 50s and 60s was they had to be enforced by federal marshals at gunpoint because people, you know, state, state governments were simply ignoring them. You're absolutely right on that point. Uh, but it is, it is, it is a, uh, it is a troubling turn of event. And this is incidentally also what Steve Bannon, I think really wanted to have like this, like he talked openly about wanting this to happen, that he was trying to force what was essentially a kind of cataclysmic conflict between the executive branch and, you know, the legislative branch, and all, and the judiciary, if they wouldn't do what the, what uh, what the uh, administer what the Trump administration wanted to do, and basically the argument being, we're the executive branch, we are the ones with with you know with with uh, you know with armed uniformed personnel. You guys can't do anything. Screw you. Uh, and fortunately, that did not come to pass because he is also uh, you know a garbage bag of cognac, uh, as I think someone also described John Schnatter, yeah. the the Schnatter, the the uh, Papa John's guy. Uh, but anyway, so he like. That never came, you know, that, that fortunately never came to pass, but this is like, but that, but, but Bannon, what Bannon was sticking his finger on was a real vulnerable part of our democracy, which is the idea that like this kind of only works if we all decide that it means it's worth it working. Uh, and, and Kavanaugh is another, Kavanaugh is another part and is another, is another sort of, uh, tear in, in that fabric. Oh, I will say like it is, I, I do want to get into, to one more aspect, the consequences of this decision. One of the sort of basically this administration and Mitch McConnell and a large number of other people have been consistently calling the bluff of uh, of, of us all really that they can flout norms, they can be absolutely contemptuous of process, they can be you know all the things that they are, and they can basically defend the right of people in power to do whatever the hell they want to to people without power, without any possible consequences. Fuck you, uh, is is I believe the full text of their remarks. Uh, and the way that they've done, and, they, and they're basically just, and the, basically the point is, we can do this, and what are you going to do about it? And as it happens, we do have a built-in system, and this is why what's coming up in November is really important. We do have a built-in system to answer that question: What are you going to do about it? And the answer is, we are going to vote your sorry asses out. And the real question: So there is a there's a question coming up in in 2018 about the effect that the Kavanaugh confirmation process and his, his eventual confirmation will have on this election. Right and left are claiming it is energizing their base. I think there's probably some truth in bo- to both. Uh, it may, may be to such an extent that it's a wash. But I will say that Kavanaugh may be the first Supreme Court nominee whose, confer- whose hearings and confirmation process actually has a significant national effect on elections in a very long time. It's very rare. As many sort of as you know, as much fur as there have been about various Supreme Court nominations in the past, it's actually quite rare for them to have much of an effect on people's voting intentions. Uh, but this this one actually uh, this one could be, and I think properly harnessed. I think that this is something that provides just a lot more energy for the left than for the right. In part because the right won. It's harder to motivate people to get pissed off if they if they've emerged successful. Right, and I feel like one of my favorite things that I saw um, where I was trying to at least marginally be on Twitter a little bit um, was oh who I don't some some woman tweeted, who wants to run for Senate in Maine? Like, I'll come and volunteer for you. And Susan Rice quote tweeted it and said, me, I'll do it. Was It was insane. And, you know, she could. She could actually run uh, against Collins in Maine. And the other thing that I saw was that um, there's a crowd pack campaign for the potential opponent of Susan Collins who raised $3.3 million in less than 24 hours, which is absolutely insane. 
Um, and like, I, I know there are some people that are out there saying like, oh, let's not yell at Susan Collins. That like, look at all these other Republican senators who were easy, easy yeses for Kavanaugh. I'm sorry, but no one else stood up on the floor and gave an, what, an over an hour long, 0% sus- suspenseful and actually deeply insulting speech about why she was voting yes. So I say, kick her ass out of office, get it out of there. And I think that with that sentiment, though, I think is the first time that Democrats have really felt galvanized by the Supreme Court. And that is that is some new shit right there. It is. It is. And it's the only other time I could think of it. Uh, and it's never been on this scale. There, there's some evidence that um, that the failure to hold hearings uh, for Merrick Garland, God, that feels like 40 years ago. Literally to, 40 years ago. 40 years ago. The failure to hold hearings for him. Uh, there are a couple of ad campaigns that were run against Kelly Ayotte in New Hampshire and, and uh, I think maybe one other. But there was some evidence that, that that was a very clever ad campaign that focused more on, you know, you're, you're sent to do a job. You should do a job because they were refusing to have, they're refusing to hold these things. That might have had some effect on a close election, but, but certainly nothing like this. I mean, you know, where you can raise three and a half million dollars for a candidate who doesn't exist yet. And by the way, y'all, uh, don't forget about the candidates who are actually running. Uh, for the love of God, like please, there if you're are giving, real like, humans out there doing it right please, now. Please give, please give to the like. The, 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 I mean, Susan Collins's time will come. Uh, we're all looking forward to that campaign with great anticipation. Uh, but uh, but you know, just don't forget there's some there's some real stuff happening in Tennessee and Texas, uh, Nevada, Arizona, and various other places where we actually have a shot at picking up Senate seats. Uh, and and that's that 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 please let that be where your money and your energy goes. Um, not to say that there is anything particularly wrong with looking forward to working and raising money to defeat Susan Collins for this, because that's absolutely right. I mean, you know, all the other thing is focusing on Susan Collins doesn't mean that we are only going to focus on Susan Collins. She's just a great place to start. Hell yeah. She's the first name on my Arya Stark list. That's exactly just Maggie Moore. Just back there. (laughs) Just like Susan Collins, Joe Mm -hmm. Manchin, Mitch McConnell, like, the polishing my dagger <laughs> that's exactly just like just endlessly like uh a maggie has no name well actually that doesn't really hold up anyway well, <laughs> we, need to, we need to workshop this thing but work out like the basic point is uh is is maggie has become a faceless assassin it's it's good as hell my friends yeah you'll never see me coming yeah. So along with uh, just reciting these names like some sort of mad woman into the night, uh, you know, hoping to sort of, uh, you know, conjure them on the storm. Uh, what? So it's been it, it's it's been a, a truly shitty week in a in a series of unbelievably shitty weeks. Uh, what are you doing? There's been a lot of kind of I, I think maybe a little bit. Uh, exaggerated discussion of self-care, but it is relevant every now and again to ask, like, mm-hmm. what are we doing to keep ourselves focused and energized when the news is, ba- is this bad? Because you've got, like, you've got to stay focused. You've got to stay energized. This is going to be a generational fight to unfuck what is happening. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, this is a long one, and, you know, we need our energy. We need our focus. So what are you doing by way of keeping yourself up focused and, uh, and, and you know, and still on your game in the face of this just absolute shitstorm? Yeah, it's a really good question. And, I think for me, I have, I have a couple thoughts. One is that news stories um, and traumatic things uh, that you're reading in the news affect people differently. So if you find that you have a little bit of a higher energy level, check in on your friends. That is one of the nicest things you can do. Also, if you have the capacity to offer someone support, do it. Because you never know who might need your support. Um, so this week, I have been the lucky recipient of several messages of support, which is very helpful. So if you find yourself in a place where you're like, maybe I should do that, follow that impulse. It's greatly appreciated. 
Um, the second is that it is super okay to feel overwhelmed or upset about something in the news that feels really separate from you. Sometimes it feels a little silly, but just sort of don't, don't, don't force yourself to feel something or not feel something. So that's also fine. Um, and then the third thing I will say is when I feel overwhelmed by the stuff that I'm consuming, the easiest place for me to still get a social media hit and to be then almost 100% certain to stay away from politics is Instagram. So I don't follow a lot of celebrities. I follow like maybe one or two, mostly follow uh, my friends. Um, so folks that I, you know, enjoy or that I actually talk to in real life so I can sort of feel close and connected to them. But really folks, the kinds of accounts that I am on Instagram for are people getting relatively hurt. So there are tons and tons of Instagram accounts out there. And I know that sounds terrible. There's tons of Instagram accounts out there called, there's one called All Fails that I really enjoy. It's a lot of people like, you know, shaking up a bottle of champagne and then get the cork shooting them in the head. Like that's, and it's in slow-mo. That's some great A content. Another, kids getting hurt. Um, the kids are never hurt that bad, but it's like a kid who sort of like takes an early spill off a slide and you can hear the parents laughing on the cell phone. No one is gravely injured, but honestly, is there anything funnier than a kid spinning around in one of those, um, playground things and then getting off and then falling over like a drunk person? No, absolutely not. I think it's related to, uh, to cake wrecks and now the Netflix show nailed it. Uh, yes. which is excellent. Uh, there, there is, there is a sort of the simple and harmless joy in, uh, in, in ultimately trivial and harmless failure of human endeavor is, is a rich vein, honestly, because anything people try to do, someone has done it spectacularly and hilariously badly, probably most people at one point or another. Um, and you know, there's just something sort of joyful in laughing at the human condition in that way. There's also something so pure about realizing just how stupid kids are like when they're really when they can walk but they can't super talk yet like kids are like they genuinely are just the dumbest things around i watched a video of a kid holding a big like a big gulp cup and he had two ping pong balls and there was one ping pong ball in the cup and he bends over to pick up the other one and then the one falls out of the cup and he puts the other one in and then he sees it and walks over and he leans down again the ball falls out of the cup as he's picking up the other one he did that for like a minute and a half for 40 minutes. Yeah. It was incredible. And I, I was laughing so hard. I was crying. So I do recommend Instagram for some of the, just like generally a see joy from your friends, but also there's a lot of good dog content out there. Um, animals doing things is a really great account um, of just like dogs rolling around in the shower or birds falling into a glass of water, like just really cute animals doing things. So like, I, I highly approve of that stuff. But there was one Instagram picture that I saw that was a little political, um, but it was 100% worth it. So I'm sure that folks, uh, some of our listeners, maybe, since there really has only been one news story this week, saw that the first lady went on a world tour, a continent tour uh, of Africa. Um, What countries did she go to? I don't know because no one knows anything about this trip. What's her message? What's her mission? Literally nothing. The only thing that we know that she's doing is pretending to be Catherine Hepburn and Queen of Africa because she's wearing linen pants and a white shirt and she's got a wide brim hat and she even has like a little skinny black tie. Um, 
And I saw someone post a photo of her, which by the way, she's standing in front of the, the, the pyramids in Giza or they're in the background. Um, it's a pic, it's a still of her. And then a, a still from, uh, the Indian, one of the Indiana Jones movies that has Nazis in it. Honestly, it could be any of them, but they were right next to each other. And I shit you not. They look exactly the same. It is so funny. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) It's so bad. Like, I think she was in Malawi. I think she was in Kenya. But again, I don't know because all I can focus on is how batshit she looks in this outfit and how clear the comparisons are and how no one really told her, no, you should dress innocuously. No one wants to see your clothes when you're on this trip because they won't be listening to the words that are coming out of your mouth. Because what has she said? I don't know. Just know that she looks kind of like a Nazi. Yeah, yeah, maybe look a little bit less like, well, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, it's at the villains from Indiana Jones. Like, I'm looking at some of these things now. There's no way around it. Like, there's this, that, that is the, if you, like, if you had told me that she was intentionally going for this aesthetic, I would find that credible. I find it more credible that this, that someone intentionally went for this aesthetic than that they got there by accident. Exactly, exactly. So I don't really know what's up with her or her clothes, but it is a absolute riot. Um, so, yes, th- those are many suggestions for me about keeping yourself safe and keeping yourself sane. Uh, Frank, what do you, what do you have for, for our dear listeners about keeping their spirits high when everyone's feeling low? I mean, I think I'm fortunate in that by virtue of working in politics, yeah, it can be exhausting and difficult and talking about politics and being around, it makes everything feel like you're never off duty, which is really hard. But it also means that you always have a sense of agency about what's happening, right? You're always involved in a fight in some way. And so I think one of the things that's really hard about things like Kavanaugh is that people feel like they have had their power taken away from them because that is exactly what has happened, uh, and that's why they're a why we're, why a nameless president, why a nameless Senate candidate is able to raise three and a half million dollars, you know, for to run against Susan Collins, like because people felt like that was a thing that they could do. Uh, do not underestimate, and some of that is donations, some of that is time. Do not underestimate how good it feels to do a little something, just a little something. It doesn't take much, uh, but just a little something to have actually been part of the part of the fight. Find a horse, like bet on a horse, state you know, st- a state house candidate. You know, go out and get you know, go out and get a little piece back. Uh, because I guarantee you the mo- the thing that will, I mean, if you, if you dream of vengeance and you know, I'm, I'm, that's, that's something I spend a fair amount of my time doing vengeance, revenge. I tell you from experience, political revenge is a luxury. It is expensive and it's often worth it. Uh, so, you know, be wise, uh, you know, pick, pick your, pick your spots, but I will tell you the thing that terrifies these people more than anything is the idea that, um, these people who are, you know, people who are dispirited by things like Kavanaugh are going to start donating and especially they're going to start, they're going to get active. Not just yes. voting, 100%. but actually getting involved in a campaign and volunteering and spending their time. That is what, that's what haunts these people's dreams. Get involved in a campaign, do something structured, take back a little bit of that power. And also, by way of bringing joy to the world and, and, letting, and, and reminding us that good can triumph over evil, Texas beat Oklahoma, hook them. So football, yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> <That's>, but <yes. laughs> the, the, the pure, the, the morally pure example of the NCAA. I guess no, but um, <laughs> college football, uh, where you go for where you go for good people doing good things and taking care of each other in a system that is fair. Mm-hmm. That's the NCAA is exactly the body I think of when you're talking about that kind of stuff. Yes, nonetheless, um, hook them. Exactly. Uh, but the, uh, the example I was going to give actually that speaks exactly to what you just said, Frank, was um, 
a friend of mine's uh, father passed away pretty suddenly um, about two weeks ago. Um, and her parents raised in Ohio and she's in, she was in New Haven. Um, so she is, you know, staying uh, in, Ohio, in Ohio to be with her mother and her sister for about the next five weeks or so. Um, but what did she decide to do? She went on her first canvassing shift this Hell weekend. Yeah. So um, the deadline to, to register uh, in Ohio was yesterday. So on Saturday, uh, Elizabeth, uh, my friend, who is near and dear to my heart, um, went uh, went canvassing for the first time to register people to vote, um, and said that it felt absolutely incredible. She had uh, encounters with people, you know, listening to a dad talk to their daughters about um, what Democrats and Republicans were and what registering to vote meant. Uh, she said that was really exciting, and I texted her back saying, "You know, you will only continue to gather stories like that as you canvass and as you register people to vote." So good for you. So in a moment of you know feeling feelings like things were too much or that she was overwhelmed. She decided to, uh, to get up and go register folks in Ohio. She's doing the Lord's work. Exactly. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's, it's all out there. Uh, you know, for folks who are, you can do it digitally, uh, you know, but if you're, if you're in a position to go out and do it yourself, it's, you know, and I think a lot of people are, li- I think if you're listening to this, you probably have considered this option. Uh, do it. It's great. It's awesome. Uh, there is nothing that beats the first cup of coffee on election day uh, and, and being part of that and knowing that this day is going to pass with you doing something. It's awesome. Yeah. That first cup of coffee on election day at 3am is so tasty. At least I had coffee at 3 a.m. in 2016 because I couldn't sleep. Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. Also, I wish that you – would. you know, this is obviously podcasting is an extremely visual media, but I wish you could see the dance that Mags just did <laughs> on the first cup of coffee. It was, it was astonishing. So, yeah, have a cup of coffee. So go up, go get active, do something on election day. You know, if you were – yeah, and, and do a little dance while you're doing it because now that's all I'll be able to think about. Yeah, do Perfect. a little dance. Also, watch a little dog content, and we promise you will feel so much better. Yeah, we're going to get through this. God, I hope so. Well, I feel as though we finally made it through the 84-year news cycle and this 84-year-long podcast. It actually wasn't that long. I think we did pretty good. Um, so thank you to all of you for sticking with us. Um, and it's also great to, to chat with you, Frank, after uh, a couple weeks off, mostly me just trying to sleep it off, to be quite honest. Um, who amongst us? Honestly, who amongst us? So Please, y'all, please be sure to subscribe to us, uh, rate us on all the platforms, because honestly, we're vain and we need it. Um, and give us a follow on uh, Twitter at, at Taking Ship. And with that, Frank, where are we headed this week? Oh, we are taking ship this week for Sweden, uh, where, uh, this, where we were served a timely reminder of a, of a time, uh, you know, a halcyon uh, time of days gone by, when large bodies of water were not the, our bitter foes as they are now, uh, but were, could instead be trusted, were our friends and our helpmeets, uh, our valued compatriots, uh, within whom we vested our trust uh, in various in processes of government and leadership. And I refer, of course, to back when we used to decide our leaders based on people pulling things out of bodies of water. Uh, very specifically, a, a young uh, Swedish-American uh, uh, lass uh, who rejoices in the terrific first name of Saga. Uh, uh, she was eight years old. Uh, traveling on a sum- on a summer holiday in uh, Tano in Smaland, which is in Sweden, and she pulled a 1,500-year-old uh, Norse sword out of a lake. 
that happened. It is a thing that occurred. Uh, a girl has pulled a sword out of a lake in Sweden. Uh, she is clearly now at least the queen of Scandinavia, maybe the queen of a lot more than that. Uh, we are taking ship there because for once the crew of taking ship sees a good thing and is getting it on the ground floor. Uh, we're going to, you know, we are going, so friends, we take ship this week for Sweden uh, to pledge our loyalty to a 15-year-old girl who pulled the sword out of a lake in Sweden. Uh, the future is bright. The future is Viking. I, for one, welcome our female overlord.